Welcome to the Inclusive Education Project. I'm Vicki Brett. I'm Amanda Salohi. We're two civil rights lawyers on a mission to change the conversation about education, civil rights, and modern activism. Each week, we're going to explore new topics which are going to educate and empower others and give them a platform to enact change in education and level the playing field. Welcome back. We have everyone. Oh, there she is. I was like, I totally forgot to even be like, Amanda, who wants to start? We're just getting into it. It's just for us. It's just one of those days. We're just, we're doing what we can. It's a busy day, back to back. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Important conversations. Absolutely. And that's what we really try. You know, Amanda and I, we're trying to start conversations and today's conversation is going to be a good one. We actually have Robin Williams Evans on our podcast today. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it is my pleasure. I'm so excited to speak with you all. So, Robin, why don't you give a brief introduction of yourself to our listeners? Sure. I am a wife. I am a mother to a child with um, severe disabilities. I'm an ordained minister in the Baptist tradition, and I'm a coach to families with special needs children. I also work with professionals, too, and an author to a book called Living a Happy Life with a Special Needs Child. I uh, happen to be a Washington Post bestseller, so I was extremely excited about that. Absolutely. On Amazon, and it's really the catalyst as to why I wrote the book is because we have a special needs child. And, you know, I had for at least the first two years of my son's life, and his name is Wyatt, lost my happiness and was in a super dark place emotionally because we were unprepared to be on that journey. The way we ended up there was Wyatt was fine in utero and it wasn't really until the birthing process started. I'm in the midst of pushing and they lost Wyatt's heartbeat. And so they tried to, you know, stir him up in utero to get the heartbeat registering again, unsuccessful. So they took me in and I was doing it all natural. And they took me into emergency Mm C-section. And when I was awakened, the doctor told me that Wyatt wasn't doing well and went without oxygen for 17 minutes. Oh, wow. And just to give some perspective, usually time of death is called at 15 minutes for adults. Yeah. So they worked on him because of, you know, baby's brains are a little bit more plastic. And mm-hmm. so they worked on him for an additional two minutes. And so I like to say that all of his reset, all of his buttons were pressed back to reset, you know, yeah. and he was in critical condition, had to be rushed off to another hospital that had a oh, procedure. Oh, my goodness. Did not have it was a cooling procedure. I was, was going to ask if it was the cooling yes. procedure. Yeah. Yes, and they rushed him off to another hospital where he was there. So he was really within the NICU for about five and a half weeks. Oh, and, wow. and so when they discharged him after the five and a half weeks, the attending physician sent us off into the world by saying, "Why it will hit zero milestones." Oh, wow. Isn't that always just lovely when some of these doctors, their bedside manner, and just really quickly, is White your first? White is my one and only. Okay. And Uh. so even just experience that birthing process in and of itself is so traumatic, right? And then, so you're dealing with that. Then you have this doctor 
who's just basically like, oh, yeah, and uh, by the by, zero <laughs> milestones? How, I mean, how did you even process that? We did. Yeah. We yeah. did. I remember getting Wyatt home, and then I'll, I'll talk about all his uh, diagnoses, but mm. I remember getting him home. We brought him to his bedroom, and he was still in his car seat. We sat him on his bed in the car seat, and we looked at each other. My husband and I were like, what are we going to do? Uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> He was diagnosed, his primary diagnosis is cerebral palsy. Okay. He has cortical vision impairment. He's hearing impaired. He is wheelchair bound. Mm-hmm. He's nonverbal. He's through a G-tube and he has epilepsy. Okay. So he was discharged on an NG tube. And so we had to learn that. At five weeks? Yes. He was on an NG tube. And then eventually we had surgery to place the G tube. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, we hit the ground running and, and it, it was so sobering. I was in denial for, I want to say a couple of years, denial that we had a rough road ahead. Right. I'm thinking, you know, that he's just going to magically or in some sort of miracle kind of rebound back mm. to par. Mm. That we would resume the life that I had kind of planned out in my head. Right. Yeah. And closer that, you know, we got to him walking and doing other things, reality was setting in. Mm. And I thought we were still faking it well enough until we were at a birthday party and we had to, you know, put the kids on the floor to manipulate some activity Mm. and my husband and I, his name is Wayne, had to hold whatever we were working with in Wyatt's hands and trying to work on him holding the item. And it became pretty apparent probably to everybody else that Wyatt was different. Mm. And I remember a woman coming up to us going, oh, well, what program is he in? And I was like, what? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It just never ceases to amaze me. And I'm sure, you know, people are trying to be well-meaning Right. But it just never ceases to amaze me. You know, the questions I'm sure that you've Well, just like the audacity to just assume that a child is or will be able to do or not able to do things. It's unfortunate that so many people kind of have that stance and it's easy for them for whatever reason to make these assumptions and it's like based on nothing like usually they don't know that much about the child you shouldn't be making an assumption exactly oh we dealt with a lot of ignorance and entitlement you know and so uh and i've got lots of stories in that area if you needed more examples but yeah. yeah that's when i kind of crumbled into a pile you know and was like oh i can't fake this anymore it's obvious apparently, mm-hmm. if someone's comfortable enough, Amanda, right. to come and approach me. Right. And so that's when I was kind of forced to deal with what was before us. And I think you all had a guest on TJ Nell again. I was, that, we were just, that, I was just going to talk about, you know. Yeah. And he spoke about mourning. Yeah. And I totally agree yeah. that I had to, my husband and I, but we went through the process differently and on right. different timetables. Right. We had to mourn the loss mm-hmm. of his abilities. Not I mean, he's still with us, and we were praising. We, you know, we're, we're people of faith, so we were praising God mm-hmm. for blessing us with that. And that's a whole other thing too. Just as far as you know, we were angry about that, right? And then right. with it, and you know, I'm an ordained Baptist minister, right? And I'm still struggling with this and feeling abandoned, and 
And I was on staff as an associate minister during my pregnancy and, you know, during the birthing process and so forth and to feel abandoned. So that's a whole other issue there. But we had to come to grips with that and had to mourn the loss of Wyatt's abilities Mm -hmm. and in order to come to grips with it. And so that was all part of the process of finding our way back to happiness is embracing all of that. And because my husband and I have advanced degrees, so letting go of, you know, those hopes and dreams of him going off to college Mm -hmm. or for that matter, being on a school track that is diploma bound. Yeah, traditional, right. Just all the pictures, everything that comes up, you know, when you find out you're pregnant, right? Yes. The the story that we constantly do, that our mind constantly there's a story for everything and it's not yes. set in reality. It's yeah. So we had to kind of make our way through that, you know, and yeah. then to get to the other side and, you know, we got to the other side, you know, at different times, you know, mm. we as a couple had to go through marital therapy, right? As you end up with the child, that's complex, mm-hmm. you know, you end up becoming, if you're not careful, you end up becoming roommates. Yeah. Because, you're running. I was so busy trying to, you know, heal Wyatt right, by right. taking to all these doctor's appointments and, you know, follow-ups and uh, therapies and, you know, and always trying, not really taking the time to celebrate whatever milestones that he's achieved. And that was another thing. We had to learn to redefine our happiness. Just that, right. that shift in perspective, right? You just had to learn that. You had to learn it because I wait a minute, you know, and it was all very organic. I wish I could have read a book that, you know, and I'm sure they were out there. It's just, there was no one in my life that was in sharing my circumstances. So I didn't know what to do. And I was, I felt very alone because, you know, the life that we had prior to having Wyatt, there was, um, I was not friends with anybody that had special needs children special needs family members that they were close to. So this was all brand new. And then when you have your special needs child, people don't know what to say. They don't know what to do. So then they kind of like quietly step away. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? well, let's, not, let's not forget that you're dealing with your own trauma and experience yourself. Your focus shifted straight to Wyatt, yes. but mm-hmm. you went through an ordeal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I oh, can't even imagine. Yes. I mean, I'm only six months away from, you know, thankfully I did not have a traumatic birth like you did. But, and so I can't imagine because, you know, it's hard enough as it is, you know, to go through it and everyone places the emphasis on the baby. And especially if they're a special needs child, there's so much going on and they're not, you're not even probably thinking about yourself. No, I mean, and that's how, how couples become uh, roommates. And I mean, just to kind of add another little wrinkle or depth to our complex situation, my husband is a psychologist uh-huh. and we still struggle right. through it. Right. <laughs> yeah. We still had to go through yeah. It's like with doctors that are surgeons, they can't perform the right. surgery on themselves. Right, exactly. Yeah. You had to go seek help. Mm-hmm. You know, there's mm-hmm. no shame in the mm-hmm. game, you know, mm-hmm. to go get assistance, outside opinion on how to find ourselves again, you know, and to take us through, like you said, Amanda, being able to acknowledge, mm-hmm. you know, what we're experiencing. Right. And yeah. not to gloss over it, to mm-hmm. it. 
but to embrace it, to lean into it. I mean, I wear it like a badge of honor now, you know, and mm -hmm. absolutely despite all of what we've been through. And so Wyatt is 13, almost 14, and it doesn't seem like it's been that long. Right. But despite all of our ups and downs, I have grown to love our lives. Wouldn't trade it for the world. And if I had the opportunity to hit the reset button, I wouldn't. I would go through everything again because we have found so much happiness in the struggle, mm. have evolved into better people than how we were tracking prior to Whitesburg. And it took me a few years to actually find something, stumble across something that actually frames out how I've been feeling. And it's a, a field of study that's been out for over 20 years that's called post-traumatic growth. Mm. It's by the authors, the pioneers, uh, Tadeshi and Calhoun. And they talked about, they, and it was actually an article that I stumbled upon in a wheelchair magazine that talked about six people that experienced horrific accidents that took their ability to walk. And they were all bound to wheelchairs and preferred their lives from this new perspective than they did before. And then they called it post-traumatic growth. That, and when I read that, I was like, that's me. That's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's very yeah. different, but it's in a way it's configured in a way now that I have kind of blossomed into the woman I always wanted to be, but I just didn't know how to get there before. Right. And almost and, that label helped right, with giving you the descriptor of yeah. what has happened. And it's funny because a lot of times Amanda and I always talk about how labels work against our kiddos. You know, people see the label and then they don't see anything else. But in this particular yeah. instance, because of our human minds, we categorize all the time. <laughs> like we're just constantly, we are constantly labeling. But I think the difference here is the acknowledgement that you were talking about, right? And it being that catalyst to help you realize that you can become the woman that you've always wanted to become, which is fascinating yes. to me because I don't know that a lot of yeah. people get there. As no, quickly. and it takes so much work. Mm. <laughs> and that's the thing that people probably are afraid of is leaning into that mm -hmm. because they're constantly trying to pump the brakes and like, no, I don't want that. I want to get back to the life that I had before when it was so much easier. Mm. When we're faced with a situation where, and not to say that my husband and I didn't try because we did, right, which right. led to, you know, being in denial about really the severity of Wyatt's diagnosis. But when we figured out that we could not plug back into the life that we had and that the only way that we would regain our happiness was to create a new path. Mm. And we had to then redesign our lives. And within mind that, you know, we would analyze, I'd break my life up into pre-Wyatt, post-Wyatt. So in pre-Wyatt, and this, and I was forced to, I did not volunteer right. because of the path that was laid out before me. Of course, I didn't volunteer for this path, but right. here I am. But here, okay. yeah, here we so are. We are all faced with the decision of 
do am I gonna try to make things better or mm-hmm. am I just gonna allow life to crush me at every turn? Right. And so I chose not to have life crush me and I wanted to be able to proactively change as much as possible and find happiness again because I was not happy. And so pre-Wyatt, post-Wyatt, I then looked at my life and I was like, so what do I want to change that was too much of a time suck before it? Because I don't have the time anymore. Right. You know, I'm too busy trying to take care of myself, my mm-hmm. husband, and now my ch- child. Mm-hmm. So what has to go? And so that's how I kind of designed it. And so one of the big things was toxic relationships, you know? Right. And so those were time consuming Mm -hmm. and for not, you know, and I don't have time to babysit people, you know? And so for those relationships that were not win-win, like Stephen Covey talked about, right. And it was win-lose me being the loser, Mm -hmm. then those had to go. Mm -hmm. Or I mean, cause, and people that fell into that category were friends and family members. And so I had to, I just can't walk away necessarily from family members, but you know, I just kind of them into the column of I'm going to love you from a distance. Right. Right. You reevaluate the effort that you're going to put in knowing what you get out or the stress that might place on you. And I think it's interesting living in the times that we are now that we can't really see people. We can't really do as much. So I think a lot of people are reevaluating that more because you realize what an impact certain people have on your life when they're not really as much in your life? Mm-hmm. Is it yes. something that you're missing or is it mm-hmm. something where you realize I'm not really missing that? Right. Exactly. Yes. It's, exactly. It's that inventory, right? Yeah. That you're taking and Definitely. really being able to be forced in that situation. And it's funny the way that we do categorize our lives. You know, one would think, oh, okay, you know, the zero to 10, you know, let's go by decades. But people don't categorize their lives that way. It's, you know, the day I met my husband, you know, pre-husband, post-husband, right? Or yes. even, you know, for a man and I, pre-law school, post-law school, right? Um, you know, it, there's, right. there's certain events in our lives that we're able to kind of take, you know, if you're, if you're really thinking about your life and, and the story of your life, it's, it's it revolves around these events. And it sounds yes. like that really helped you. And I did notice that when I asked you to do a brief introduction, you had said wife first. And I think just that even the subtle like language is, I love language. It's huge, right? And just like I said, that subtle shift, I think for a lot of people and just even in acknowledging that change is inevitable. I don't think people really think about that. (laughs) Change is constant. If there is one constant in this world is that things will change. And it sounds like you were really able to kind of see that once, you know, just even simply as that article, right? Giving you that descriptor. What what do you think would have been helpful in those first couple of years, even from someone, you know, that you felt you were close to, what would you have liked to have heard? Because I know now you are that person for so many people. You know, you are the one that, you know, is trying to find the right things to say. But what do you think that would have been helpful to hear in those first couple of years? It would have been helpful just to reach out and say, hey, how are you doing? I wasn't asking for a lot. Right. But how are you doing? How's Wyatt? Because they were afraid. They didn't know what to say. Didn't want to offend. They wouldn't even Mm -hmm. ask about him. 
So he felt invisible. Right. You know? And so I was like, yeah, ask me. It's okay. I did not take and still do not take offense when people want to learn more. I'm excited. You want to hear about my child. Mm-hmm. And I'm ready to share. And so just to ask how I'm doing, how is my husband doing? How's Wyatt doing? How's, you know, don't ask about, yeah, I know you didn't ask me about what not to say. So I'm not going to do that <laughs> Well, I mean, we could go right into it. Yeah, no, we can go in what not to say. No, I think that's helpful for a lot of people. And I just, you know, occurred to me exactly what you had said. So many people, you know, they think, okay, well, I'll just step back. And it's almost the opposite. As humans, we crave community. We crave this village kind of mentality, right? It takes a village, you know, to raise a child. And I think it's very important what you should not say. (laughs) Right. It is. But that's even a mindset as well. Because, you know, the me before, so the pre-wired, I would have gone to go, well, Vicky, this is what I don't want to hear. But then post- You know, you see how quick I made the transition because it's a constant, like minute by minute. How are you going to respond? It's a choice Mm. every single time. You have to choose to be happy. It's not anything that's going to fall in your lap. And so I still struggle with not ricocheting back (laughs) to some old habits and to then go to the negative Mm. and say, well, you know, I don't want, I don't like it when people, but to, to ricochet to the positive Mm. and then, you know, and we we all fall off the wagon and we do need our moments. You know, I'm not Pollyannish about how I view my life, but at the same time, I try to really flip the perspective and try to view life through, you know, maintaining happiness. And for us, you know, it is really touched on it as far as change is equitable. But in order, I think, for special needs families and especially for those with medically complex children, I think a key is being having a flexible mindset because there's so many times we can get so regimented right. with you know, trying to maintain, especially with children that are medically complex, you know, we've got schedules, we've got to meet specialists, we have to go see therapies, we have to, you know, meetings, I, you know, with, with IEPs alone, oh my oh, goodness, Lord. Yeah. Yeah. School, we had 15, 20 people sitting around the table because Wyatt had every right. service. Right, right. <laughs> so being flexible, meaning that if something goes wrong, like, I, Wyatt, we were preparing for a very big surgery for Wyatt, hip surgery. And wow. that was like a five-hour procedure. We had to go and hit, uh, you know, all these different appointments to get, you know, the okays from all the specialists to go through all the surgeries. And then the night before, he spikes a fever. And you know what happens when you spike a right. fever before surgery. They what? Canceled the surgery. Mm-hmm. And I about flip my lid because well, so much of preparation had gone into it <laughs> and you know people just didn't understand and I was like oh I'm not mad at Wyatt right I'm just mad at the situation mm-hmm. because of all the effort that it took to prepare right. for this day and then right. so being flexible enough to where you're I'm not spitting flames behind that right you just kind of take a deep breath you know, kind of, okay, apparently the universe needed, 
you know, Wyatt needed some extra time, right. apparently, right. Yep. you know, not to go through the surgery the mm-hmm. very next day. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it has taken me years to then get that flexible mindset and then to be organized, you know. And when I say organized, not necessarily where the house has to be, you know, no, I'm not talking about that. I'm yeah, talking yeah. about just as far as, you know, having some sort of organization regarding how organizing around your happiness. What's going to make mm. you happy? And then you organize your life accordingly. So for us, because Wyatt has a lot of specialists, I need to organize his appointments and follow-ups in a certain way so it does not eclipse my life. Right. And, you know, and I don't and, think people take the minute to think that. I know, Logan, no. you do your calendar the way you do your calendar, <laughs> Logan. I'm not judging. But I don't think people think about that. And I know even right. just pre-pandemic, post-pandemic, it was, I have to, I have to, I have to. And it's just like, I don't really have to do anything. I mean, you know, at the most extreme, right? But just even finding the happiness in, man, if I can get his appointments, you know, Uh, Tuesday, Thursdays, you know, and then it kind of, and just even that, people don't think, oh gosh, that's not going to make me happy. But you think about all the time that you kind of are able to get from that. And that, I think, is a really great example of changing to the positive, like you were saying. Yes. Yes. I think something as simple as I mentioned earlier, because Wyatt has so many people on his IEP team, just today, he's about to go through a reevaluation period, which in Maryland, it's every three years. Right. And so ours is coming up next week. And one of his speech teacher was like, do you have, you know, the report from before? And I was thinking, well, why wouldn't she have it? Right. So I looked at a folder of all my stuff. It's super, super thick. And I was able to, within minutes, flip through. And I'm like, huh, yeah. this is probably what she's scan it, send it off to her. And she's like, yes, that wasn't in the system. And I was like, oh, wow, okay, that was pretty easy. But it was because organization. Right. And I'm not, I have parts of my life that are really organized right. and other parts that are not. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> just when it comes to that, you know, just little things like that can then really help you kind of maintain your happiness. I know that for moms, the burden oftentimes falls on them and just even not realize you know what you need but then not asking for help did you find that that was something you immediately had to throw out the window like I need help and this is how I need it or does that something that kind of came through the process of I can't deal with this I need you know help with xyz it came through the process yeah because I was socialized to believe that I could do it all myself. Right. You know, I think moms, women in general, have that superwoman, superhero complex. Right. And I yeah. came from that plight. And I did not know how to ask for help. Hmm. And I did not know that it didn't mean that I was weak, that I needed to ask for help. And people would ask us all the time, oh, do you have a nurse or, you know, to help you with Wyatt? Mm. And I would look at them like they were crazy. Right. No. Right. Do it ourselves. What are you talking about? Mm. And so it wasn't until we, Wyatt's uh, last uh, daycare, because he was always in some sort of daycare setting for special needs children. And the last daycare changed their hours to only twice a week. And uh, we both, my husband and I worked full time. And I was like, oh, that's not going to work. So to get in-home care and that happened two and a half years ago and that was and I felt guilty 
when she was here. Right. Like caring for him, changing him, doing the things I normally do. I'm like, I'm here. Right. Why am I letting her do this? Because I'm here. Right. And right. I felt guilty. That's the only word that's coming to mind. Mm-hmm. Guilty. Mm-hmm. Had to pay someone to do this. But it wasn't because I was here. It was because she was freeing us up to work. Right. Yeah. And I think a lot of parents are kind of dealing with that right now. A lot of people working from home and having to figure out, you know, do you get someone to help? I'm dealing with this right now. You know, it's like you think about what are their priorities of like, oh, I should be taking advantage of this time to, you know, be with him every second I can. But then you're not able to be 100% everywhere, everything for everyone. So help is it is hard. I definitely feel guilty, but you know, I, I think what a lot of people have realized and I'm slowly starting to, but yeah, you have to be able to get help in order to focus on the things that matter. And I think that definitely drives to your level of happiness. Absolutely. So yeah, it was definitely a process to learn that it was okay yeah. and nothing wrong with it or asking yeah. for help. And is that what you, yeah. I know that you had mentioned that you help, you know, almost coaching with parents. I'd like to talk about that a little bit because I know that a lot of parents that listen to our podcast listen because of the great people that we have on like yourself. And so we always try to connect them. So if you don't mind talking a little bit about that and how COVID has changed or not changed that, that would be wonderful. Well, oh yeah, definitely. It actually too with COVID, it has made it easier really to connect with parents, like one parent in particular that I connected with that was a follower of mine on social media, and she's located in California, and it wouldn't have been easy at all to connect with her otherwise. And so just talking about some, you know, talking through, we met on Zoom and was able to kind of talk through a situation. And then even in the midst of COVID with uh, another family member, we met at Children's hospital waiting room right because <laughs> why it is you know a teenager and this child was very small they saw their future potentially ah, in- interesting <laughs> yeah right and like and gravitated like, yeah oh. and uh, you know and it's funny friends of mine that i've met i've met in waiting rooms <laughs> You know what? It, it, I believe that a lot of times that's how, you know, when we get a referral from a client, it's like, oh, so-and-so, I was waiting at ABA therapy and she came in and and it, like, those are the best stories, right? Because it, it, it's forced. Um, I think that's what people are missing now, you know, yeah. in this time is that interaction and connection that's that's that can true. happen. And especially when it comes to the professionals. So pre-COVID, then I would be like a keynote speakers for like um, within our, our county, we host a special education summit every year. Oh, okay, yeah. So this is the second year that we've had to cancel it because of COVID. But, you know, we would run workshops on the topic of our book, Living a Happy Life with a Special Needs Child. And, yeah. and, and so, you know, this the year, the, the last year, you know, I had a panel that was set up with other um, parents with varying disabilities represented on the panel to talk about things. Then the year before, my husband and I were the keynote speakers for the Special Education Summit. And then we've spoken for the superintendent's meeting with the principals and assistant principals and, and other administration, you know, on subject matter of special education and inclusion. And, you know, kind of putting 
like a real story yes. behind just the title special education, you know, and to give it a little bit of depth and dimension versus it just being on the paper and, you know, so it comes in a variety of ways and, and the whole virtual meeting now actually with COVID makes it a bit more intimate. I mean, well, it can be a little bit more intimate because you could just be in your home and talk as opposed to, you know, right. in, a, in another setting. So, yeah, it's been, I love it. Absolutely love it. Um, very, you know, interesting to be able to, because that was my goal behind writing the book. I was like, I need to level this gigantic hill and make it as flat as possible in order to prevent people falling into the black holes that we fell into. Mm-hmm. And by helping hand, get them out of those pitfalls. And if they do fall into them, you know, have some sort of guide to get out of it or to prevent them from falling into the hole altogether. Absolutely. It's strength. It's, you know, working through it to get to the other side. And I think that you hit the nail on the head with the aspect of fear about the work. And I think that is probably why you have been such an effective keynote speaker in different situations, especially, you know, with school district people, because everybody has their own kind of story in their head about special needs, about cerebral palsy, about this, about that. And for you to bring life to something that they probably didn't even think of resonates, I'm sure, so much with them. Hopefully so. Yeah, definitely. Where it would, you know, allow them to kind of, view our kids a little differently, you know, Mm -hmm. to know that there is a story behind who's showing up in that classroom, their therapy session, you know, and that the parents, we are navigating a lot to just show up. Right. (laughs) Just to show up. It takes a lot, a lot of effort. But, but yeah, I mean, and that's why it's just, it's become a passion of mine to help other families know that you could be equally as happy as anyone else, any of your typic- your friends with typically developing children, you can have just as much happiness as they have, maybe even more so, but it's how you choose, because it's a choice, how you choose to organize your life and define happiness. It really boils down to that. It can be that simple. The part that's not simple is, you know, kind of rewiring your natural inclinations. That takes a little bit of time, but it can be done. It definitely can be done. Thank you so much. I think it's so vital for our listeners to hear that and to have you as, you know, an example of that and that it is attainable and that you could help, you know, essentially work through that with them. How can people reach you, Robin? Oh, they can reach me via my website, which is just um, robinwilliamsevans.com or um, Instagram, which is just happy life, special needs child or Facebook, the, the book title, living a happy life with a special needs child or email robin at robinwilliamsevans.com. I think that's, that's all my info. <laughs> We'll be sure to put it in the show notes. Thank you so much for coming on, just being so authentic and real and articulate. I think that's something that brings our, you know, the different types of guests that we have on. I think that's really what helps bring back our listeners. So (laughs) we're really grateful for your time. And if you guys have any additional questions, please reach out to Robin. We'll have all her information in the show notes. Robin, again, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for being on. 
Thank you. I appreciate it so much. All right. We will all talk, right, to, we'll you talk to you all next week. Bye.